today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the John Morant vs. Tyrese Maxey show, discuss whether or not Maxey's development changes what we think the Sixers should do at the trade deadline, and then briefly get into some talk about what we expect to happen next week. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on a Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, Rich, as Big J journalists, we are not there to cheer, but we sure as shit can ooh and ah and occasionally slap a table when you see incredible plays. And last night, that was a table-slapping good time. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, man. I, uh... I would agree with you on that. I think I'm trying to think back to the all of the regular season games we have seen. And look, it's just like, look, we we are very. Uh, I, I think at this point we have covered enough of these games to to know when a game has no juice uh, to understand what the regular season means in the um, in the long run. That was one of the better, more exciting games we have covered ever i mean i'm trying to think like the i think the warriors uh sixers game when the sixers won 10 games and the warriors won 73 games was pretty memorable there are other memorable moments for sure but john morant and tyrese maxi going back and forth and just trading punches that was i mean that was a lot of fun and and that's really what it is like when you and i get excited it's not like oh my god who's gonna win it's holy shit that was an incredible play and last night, it was just play after play after play of incredible drives that I have no idea how they got in. I have no idea how how John Morant had that body control. I have no idea how Tyrese Maxey had the English on the ball to get that in. There was just great play after great play after great play. And as much as you can take the fan out of a journalist, you can't take the appreciation of Athletic Marvel out. Uh, and that was just a blast to watch. It was definitely, and look, Regular season basketball is different animal than playoff basketball for a regular season game. That was just about as good as it gets. And I'll be honest, like when we were talking before the game and you knew Joel Embiid wasn't playing and you look back oh, at the I way they, they were got by 15, the way they got hammered in Memphis earlier in the season, <laughs> I thought this had a chance to be ugly and you looked up and it was just incredible. It was just incredible. And that's the weird part about the Sixer season for every terrible loss. And there have been a few. A lot of them at home, too. There's also been a, a good, improbable win on the other end of that. And it's, uh, you know, Doc Rivers gets a lot of shit for when, when they have a bad game. I, you know, beating the Memphis Grizzlies without Joel Embiid is pretty yeah, good. that was a really and, good one. And frankly, like, I think you saw Doc at his best last night where they have to play a completely different way than they do with Joel Embiid because, let's be real, Joel Embiid is the offense. That doesn't take like I'm. I'm not saying that's like takes a rocket scientist if to. If you uh, want more to, of these takes, go subscribe to the Sixers Beat podcast. But they changed up how they played, and I think they've done it enough this year. Doc gets them in good positions. They, uh, I, I wrote about this this morning. They took 47 percent of their shots at the rim with without Joel Embiid. I mean, with with an unathletic team compared to the Memphis Grizzlies. Like let's let's be real. They they were they were they more athletic at any position? They they might have been more athletic at center. 
no, because I mean that's the one matchup where like Maxi doesn't have an advantage. That's what I mean. Maxi is athletic. Unfortunately, the guy he's playing is the most athletic. Uh, so so they're at an athleticism deficit pretty much across the board, and they did a great job of just spacing the floor, and it was like an assault on the rim the entire game. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was a, a very good game plan from Doc. I know a lot of people will point out that the Sixers somehow started overtime trailing by a point. Yeah. That's a new one. It might be the first time in NBA history. By Somebody definition, took, overtime is supposed to be a, a tied game. Somebody took a screenshot of the scoreboard on the TV where it said overtime, five minutes left. And I think it was Grizzlies 113, Sixers 112. <laughs> and it just, it, it's funny. Again, it's like you, you never know what you're uh, you're going to see when you show up at the uh, at the barn. The uh, I, Yeah, I just thought from Doc's standpoint, it, it was a, it was a very good game plan. His players executed it, starting with uh, starting with Tyrese and Tobias. They they both were were terrific, and uh, yeah, we we didn't think like I mean it, it reminded me a lot of the the Portland game earlier this year where the Sixers they did, I believe they didn't have Tobias in that game either, and Portland was Portland is terrible, but you know the Sixers won that game without Embiid, without Tobias, I think without somebody else, and it was just like. Curry and Maxi hitting shot after shot. This was different. This was Curry and Harris hitting shot after shot. Or uh, not, not Curry and Harris. This was Maxi and Harris hitting uh, shot after shot. And uh, well, a little bit of Curry. You just had to wait until the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it's funny. The Grizzlies didn't shoot well at all the entire game, including the Zaire Williams shot at the end. Uh, they dodged a bit, a million bullets with Seth Curry yeah. just being about as off as I've ever seen him until the very end. Uh, yeah, just a, a lot of fun, and I don't know, man. It's just the Sixers, they, their schedule's about to get a little bit harder, but uh, the the vibes, they're, they're feeling pretty good right now. So, Yeah, no, it is, and look, we can have a discussion about whether or not, and, and look, they've won, what, like 15 of the last 18 games, something like that. Like, they've lost is, three games since Christmas Day. We're, it's we're, exactly the number. We're, we're now in February, so it's, it's it's been a minute. We can talk about whether or not that changes any of our projections on whether they're real title contenders this year of what they should do at the deadline. It is about to get a whole lot tougher. Whole lot. They've taken care of business. And and that was more than a taking care of business win. That was a really impressive win. Um, and like you said, that was exactly how they needed to attack that team with the personnel that they had. They needed a monster night from Tyrese Maxey and they gave him the space and gave him the ball, got out of his way. And he, he was just incredible. Um, but to me, it's much more, you know, it's real natural, I think, at this time of year to focus on all of the ways that they've sort of screwed up around Joel Embiid and, and why they're not a contender. Tyrese Maxey sort of like has the ability to erase a lot of those sins and watching him develop. And I think what really struck me on the rewatch this morning is he could get to that pull up jumper at any point, five seconds left on the shot clock, any spot on the floor. To finally have a player who can just get his shot whenever he wants. And more and more, that pull-up jumper is turning into his shot. Yep. You know, I will I look back at the numbers. Last year on on jumpers off the dribble, he shot 38% on them. Which since all of them were two-point jumpers, the effective field goal percentage was like 40%. Well, this year that effective field goal percentage is up to like 47, 48%. And that's despite the fact that it's it's accounting for a lot more of his offense, both in terms of the percent of his his total possessions. And also in terms of just the, the the volume of attempts. And if he actually becomes not just like a passable pull-up jump shooter, 
but someone with three-point range who teams are actually afraid of, which it looks like he is very much on the way to becoming. I mean, the world just opens up for him, and he can already get to the rim whenever he wants. Um, but the combination of him being more willing to draw fouls and also to get into uh, you know comfort of, of pulling up off the dribble like that, I'm not entirely sure I know what his ultimate upside is right now, what his long-term projection is. There's still, look, and, and part of this is why he, I don't think he's ready to be that guy this year in a playoff run. <laughs> you, you mean you mean because tomorrow night he'll probably have like eight points and three assists on like three of 11 shooting? Sure, yep. But, you know, there's some things like he still doesn't do a good enough job using his speed to create shots for others. Even when he has some of these high assist games, like I don't really think he's creating enough shots for others. And that's I, really what separates him from like Harden or even Lillard. I'm sorry, go ahead. And and I would say last night he did have eight assists. There were like two or three super encouraging ones. Like he he pit drummed on an oop that was pretty good. Yep. A couple of those were the uh they were the Ben assists. The, yeah, the, the guy makes a three or take attacks one a dribble, kick it out. Yeah. Catch and shoot three. Uh and when he had that that ten assist game of uh, a couple nights ago, I thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, you know, if he can just get that and improve a little bit defensively, I'm not sure how much is really capable of being improved with his profile. Um, but I still think he, there's some development development that needs to happen, both in Tyrese Maxey's individual game and also his progress um, forming a two-man game with Embiid, which I, I do think he's making progress in both those areas. I still think he has a little bit of ways to go before he is that number two scorer. But I'm becoming a lot more comfortable saying, like, yeah, I actually think he might end up being that number two option. Ooh. Just down the line. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take him to get there, but like his rate of improvement is just pretty incredible. And with point guards, you tend to see a lot of third year jumps, and he's, you know, 21 second year player. It's been pretty incredible. It, honestly, I think what, what's been the most impressive about him this year, and, and I agree with you in terms of the, the skill level improvements he's made, we, we were talking about this before the year. Like, how much pressure are we putting on this guy? He's yeah. 20 years old. He's about to turn 21. They, they want him to be the starting point guard on a team that wants to win games. Yeah. The, yeah. the guy has no experience at all about it uh, with it. And uh, the, the starting point guard on the team. And by the way, I thought it was funny last night. Like Doc got asked, like he could just gets asked the generic question. So what do you think about his game? And Doc basically is like, well, he's not a point guard. We got to understand that. And, He's doing really good for not being a point guard. And I think he also was like, well, he, he got picked on defensively, too. And, you know, I, I think that was also pretty funny. It's also true. Very um, true. Yep. Tyrese, I like I, I I will. That is something that they're going to have to work around a little bit. And you know how they're going to have to work around it. They're going to have to get a shooting guard bigger yeah. than Seth yep. Curry. Because uh, Tyrese stinks defensively right now. It's uh, he's just he's not big enough and he needs to get better in terms of navigating screens and all those things. But you know what he doesn't stink at? Everything else. He's, I mean, I think his ability to get to the rim is just, he's, it's a shame that he played against Morant last night because Morant is, I mean, he's just moving at a different rhythm, at a different pace <laughs> than pretty much. I think him and Shea Gilgis-Alexander are probably the only two guys that, I don't know, they they, they just go from zero to a, a hundred in like a matter of a second. He he wrong-footed Drummond on a couple of drives oh, last God. night. And Drummond, and was, who had a real nice game, but it felt like every time I looked up, he was getting switched on to jaw, and he just had no chance. And I like I felt bad because did he play him well? No, but he also had no chance. I and I, I'll take it far, farther than that. Um there were about eight times I went to you last night and was like, 
you know, that wasn't that bad from Drummond. He just, you know, he, he just can't do anything about that. So for some reason, he was not the fastest guy in, in the game last night. But man, he was so good. The uh, I, I put this on Twitter. The crossover he put on, they put Zaire Williams on him. Oh, by the way, you know who else stinks at defense? John Morant stinks at defense, so he can't yeah. guard Tyrese yeah. Maxey either. It, it's uh, okay to have one guy who stinks at defense, and that's probably the position it's always going to be in, considering everything else that, that uh, Maxey brings. Okay. I think you're right, though. It comes down to, well, Curry, then you bring in um, George, and there's just there's the FERC. Like, you need to reshuffle a lot of the pieces. First of all, Tyrese has to continue to grow as a point guard. And then you have to reshuffle a lot of pieces around them, I think. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but I mean, I guess we're we're getting a little bit too ahead of our skis here. Just I, I, the way he has played in the games without Embiid, and, and I agree with you, he has made progress with Embiid too, that pick and roll like we talked about last pod. Uh, the, the way he has stepped up to that challenge has just been terrific. I mean, his ability to get to the rim, Doc talked about it after the game last night that Finishing through contact is a big deal for him, and, and yep. it is because he is a below the rim finisher yep. for the most part. Obviously, he can get those nice, uh, those nice dunks uh, if he gets a full head of steam. No, but, but in, in traffic, he's yeah, he's below the he's rim. a below the rim finisher, and, and he has to work on finishing through contact. I, I still don't think he gets a great whistle. No, At, like let's be real, Ja the whistle he gets, Ja would have gotten the call when Maxi made the game winning bucket on Jaron Jackson last night. He would have gotten that call. Like yeah. and, and Maxi for some reason does not get that. And yet. I, I do think Jaron Jackson was coming down on him too. Like it seemed yeah. like it was, yeah. And, and and Drummond just got called on the other end at the end of regulation on, on kind of a similar call. So uh, to be honest, I on that those specific examples, I actually don't know how Maxi can improve except just continue to play better and hope his reputation earns him a few yeah. more calls. But I but I did think just like his general relentlessness in attacking the basket. And I, you know what? I thought that was like, we talk about the skill development, his ability to just keep going. Like there was a play. I think it was earlier in the overtime. Yeah. So they had Zaire Williams on him who Zaire Williams had a little bit of a tough game last night. Maxi puts an unbelievable right. The left crossover through the legs on him just in one swift motion, just everything together puts him completely in the dust the lane completely parts and he goes for a dunk on Jaron Jackson and he gets blocked. It was an awesome block. He ends up getting rewarded because Danny green hits a three off the scramble situation after it's over, but he didn't stop. Like he didn't stop attacking Jaron Jackson. And that was, that's what was impressive about him. And and this season, what has been impressive about him is, is like I was getting to earlier. We had, we, I mean, me and you, I, I thought were more concerned about how high the expectations were for this kid and and just saying like, you know, he might fail this season and we still have a pretty high outlook on him. He's lived up to that. He's exceeded what I thought he could do this season. No, I mean, like a lot of point guards, there's a sophomore slump in the third year is when they really take off and when they really start understanding their role on the team, in the NBA, what they can do, what they can't do, what they need to improve upon. For him to be having this much success in a really tough role in his second year at 21 years of age, it's really, really impressive. And going back to your point about him and contact, and I think his free throw rate's up, like from like disastrously low 16% was, to like 23%. There was nowhere to go, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but it's up, and if he can make a similar jump again in year three, like he'll be not good at drawing fouls, but at least acceptable. But, you know, last night, he's going into the body of Steven Adams. He's going around Jaron Jackson. Those are two legitimate interior defenders that he had a lot of success against. 
And he doesn't do that if he is as passive as he was last year. So is he getting the calls right now? I mean, a little more. What do you go to the line? Like six, seven times, something like that. Um, His free throw rate is up. It's not where it needs to be, but it's up. But I do think he is making a much more concerted effort um, to initiate contact, to seek out contact, or to at least not shy away from contact. And I think it is yielding results. It was was a really, really impressive performance. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager he uh i you just you can't say enough about him how good he was and and i i agree with you in that the the jump shot and the the pull up threes that he's taking and by the way he still seems th- this is just something that is uh idiosyncratic about his game he he doesn't take the catch and shoot no. off yeah. ball threes but he's pretty comfortable with the defender goes yep. under i'm going to take this one at the top of the key he likes pulling those even though he's pretty good at both of them honestly um uh, but that second shot is more important for him long term in terms of opening up his world as a playmaker, as a finisher at the rim. Yeah, and he has developed that this year. But the, the cool thing about last night, it wasn't really even about that. It wasn't even about the long term stuff. It was about him just putting his head down and getting to the rim with a pretty open floor. Um, he's been awesome, and that's uh, that's been the cool thing about this Sixer season. I think. Uh, you know, I think we we have at least kept open the possibility of oh, do you attach him in a Ben trade if you get like another great player? Man, it I it would have to be like Kevin Durant or somebody. Like, it would to have attach to be a him. really good. Yeah, no. Look, uh, my general stance is I don't believe in untouchable, but it would take a lot, and it's still where I'm at. But he's made it a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. So um, no, I look every trade they make unless it is a a. No doubt about it, surefire superstar. You have to go, all right, well, how does that fit with Tyrese Maxey? He's entered that conversation. Um, part of the reason why De'Aaron Fox is just, besides the fact that De'Aaron Fox isn't that good, or at least not as good as people think he is. Ouch. <laughs> but why he is a complete no-go, because that, that that pairing would be disastrous. The, the other the other Sacramento kid, a uh, little different story, had a real big night, uh, but I'm glad that we uh, 
we have a game in between that now because I think Philly is going to fall a little bit too hard for Tyrese Halliburton, <laughs> which is weird for me to say because I feel like I've been talking up Tyrese Halliburton all year as a potential trade target, uh, but now I think he's probably a tiny bit overrated because he dropped a billion on the Sixers in a previous game. But The, the prince who was promised Tyrese yeah, Halliburton. Yeah. It, one quick thought on Halliburton just from that game. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. The thing I was more impressed by was the pick and roll play throughout the entire game and being able to dime up guys and yeah. get good shots. What I was less impressed by were those crazy shots that he took 80 dribbles to shake George yeah. Niang, who moves like a dude at the yeah. Y. Yeah. Yeah. I think you you saw the isolation limitations there. Um, but, like, look, like, if you wanted to trade Simmons for him, I get it. I get it. Oh, I no, look, he, I think I think Halliburton would be a real good fit. Um, he's pretty good. For what they need. And his numbers without Fox are are pretty impressive. They're very uh, good. And certainly yeah. as a playmaker, he is a much better playmaker than I, I gave him credit for. Coming into the league, um, he's 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 good. But anyway, anyway, I guess only we one, can... Only one Tyrese we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. All right. So how do we want to transition away from that? Um, is now the time where we go to the trade deadline stuff? Let me shout out... One more guy who Bias. who is yeah who gets a lot of a lot of flack. Uh, if you look at his January numbers, they're pretty good, man. Yeah. 20, 20 points on sixty percent true shooting per game. That's really all you can ask of him. It's been a tough season for him, but I don't know wh- whether he's just gotten healthier, whether he's um, he's gotten over COVID, wh- whatever the hell it is. Whether whether he just the ball's starting to go in from three and he's starting to get a little more confident. He is playing a lot better does not change the overall outlook on Tobias Harris and kind of where he fits in in a championship puzzle. But like, I I think at some point in the middle there, it was getting awkward. Like it was like, you know, if you're going to play this poorly, I mean, this is like, you don't even have a chance. Uh, So good, good for him for, uh, for playing better. And he was, I mean, he was great last night. So. Yeah, no, he's, he's a streaky kind of player. Like I, I said this on Twitter not too long ago, but I think we focus way too much on, oh, well, look, when Tobias makes quick decisions, good things happen. Well, I mean, yeah, no shit. But I think it's a lot more like when good things happen, Tobias makes quick decisions. I think he's very prone to bouts of lack of confidence, and I think that leads to hesitation, and then that leads to his worst instincts. So when he gets into that rough spe- spell, um, rough stretch, I think is what I was going for. I mixed with spell. Anyway, when he gets into that rough stretch, uh, where nothing is going in, I think it just, it brings out the worst in him and it makes that slump a little bit worse. And now he's out of it. And hopefully, you know, while those shots are going in, you expect the good version of Tobias Harris, uh, when he hits the next slump, you know, it's the roller coaster. We're on the you know, it was a better point by doc, a more tangible point than quick decisions. He mentioned afterwards, he was like, I, he's, these floaters got to go yeah. from him. He yeah. either shoots that pull-up jumper at the elbow, which is, for Tobias, it's a pretty good shot. You know, he, uh, he can rise up over defenders and make it or go all the way to the rim because the floaters, <laughs> Tobias just does not have the touch on those shots. Yeah. At least Maxi has the touch on those shots. Yeah. Tobias does not. And he did a good job of getting all the way to the rim uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. Uh, and like he launched like those elbow extended threes that he just he catch and shoot three he launched and it's so much nicer when those are are going up and especially when they're going in that that shot is a huge deal for him yep the uh off that iverson cut when when his guy helps at the free throw line yep that's a big one also uh one, one more shout out just because 
I, I don't think it, another guy who doesn't change the outlook on him. Uh, Drummond, like he, Dw- Dwight was not capable of doing what Drummond did last. Dropping night. dimes just, like Santa Claus. <laughs> and he'll be throwing the ball into the fifth row and having a disastrous bench spell probably in the next couple of games. Well, look, Santa but, Santa doesn't make every delivery. He's just willing to attempt them. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> I'm like Santa Claus. I just hand him out. The exact quote from Andre. Yeah. What a character. And what did, he only had three of the Sixers, what, like 21 turnovers last <laughs> night, which it felt like 19 of them were uh, were live ball that, that the Grizzlies put in, put in the basket on the other end of the court. Uh, but like, look, Dwight could not do what Drummond did to play 43 minutes. Obviously, he played overtime as well. Um, he just couldn't do it. So... Good. Uh, and then Drummond. Isaiah Joe, four, two four-point plays in the span of what, like a minute and a half? Something crazy, crazy like that? Yeah. Just a, a very feel-good win for a team that, uh, look, I think they're going to get the next one. But then uh, then after that, it gets uh, it gets a little tougher. And, it does. Uh, it does. Um, but right now, that's okay. as it stands, they are a half game behind the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat crazy. for the top seed in the Eastern Conference. 15 of their last 18 only lost three games since Christmas Day. Uh, they have, look, earlier in the season at least, and and what I was thinking in my head when we weren't podcasting, which, by the way, congrats to the Crossword Puzzle Company for purchasing Wordle. Um, just really driving home what I said last podcast. But because we weren't podcasting, you know, I spent a lot of time being like, hey, they just need to get to the trade deadline while still keeping themselves in a good position. Um, and no, They're there. Well, they're, they're there. I'm not sure they make a, a change. Certainly not a change of significance that's going to get them to where, hey, being a top three seed could really matter, but they certainly are in a good enough position now, um, have gone through that stretch of the season. Um, they've, they've gotten to the trade deadline in a good spot. for sure. Let's talk about that trade deadline. I mean, does it change the way they're playing, the way Max is playing, the way the team looks? Does it change whether you think they should be aggressive in getting whatever they can for Ben? It's- Still no, but but here here is the the key to this. Um, unless you know you are getting a better deal in the summer, I think they should like they should be pretty aggressive here. Um, the, the idea of hey Harden is batting his eyes at us, he might want to come, we might get him. Th- that to me that is not good enough. I you know the uh, I'm trying to think of what the what the right word would be here whoever is whoever is behind the scenes cheating right now uh trying to figure that out there there better be a better answer on that because to me you know the the idea of going into the summer with just an uncertain plan and hoping that Beal or Lillard or Harden and by the way I don't even know if I would want Beal uh right now like what he's playing poorly he's playing poorly and all these guys are they're small, older guards too. Um, so, so no, I don't think this play should uh, should convince Daryl Morey that they're one trade away from being a contender. They are playing a lot of bad teams, but I do think he should be aggressive at this trade deadline for other reasons. Like I, you know, if you wait until the summer, there better be something better in the summer. Is yeah. is my only point. Uh, so so no, do I think it's like a complete travesty if this team uh, does not get the upgrade? No, because I don't think they're quite this good, which is what makes them a feel-good story right now. 
And I think when once you get into a playoff series, like everybody's like, oh, the the Nets and the the Bucks, they're not running away. I think when you play those teams in a playoff series, they're not going to be fun to play. With no, this, I uh, I think you're talking about a different class of team for sure. With with this crew. Yeah, but th- um, I get, but that's my main point. Like, I, I if, if if you wait until the summer, there better be something better in the summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I the way I view it, first, it's, it's still evaluating Tyrese Maxey's long term upside. Like, I think that is is there is it, a little bit of benefit to just seeing what Tyrese can do for the next couple of months, including the playoffs, and using that to guide the Ben trade. You know, I remember talking before a season of, yeah, like. Going to the trade deadline without trading Ben will suck, but like at least you'll have a little more information on what Tyrese Max can become. And I still sort of feel that way that that could be true over the next couple of months, including playoff basketball. I do think that eventually one of these stars is going to become available. So my focus is very much on, all right, well, will Ben Simmons or whatever you can get for Ben Simmons now put you in the best spot for that next trade? I think it's an interesting question because I think there are some teams, let's say the Sixers can trade, let's say it was like Tyrese Halliburton and a pick, um, which I think probably Sacramento doesn't do right now. I think Daryl was probably asking for more than that in the past, but let's say you can get it hypothetically. Would that? And then Dame Lillard asks out. Dame's just a name. Don't focus too much on Dame. But like a, a team in Portland situation has a star where Dame asks asks out. Is Halliburton and a pick and all the other assets Sixers have worth more in a trade? Put them in a better spot to get that star than Ben Simmons. I think there's an argument. But the one that I go back to is Brooklyn. What would they value? And I do think you can make a case that they might value Ben more than or other teams (laughs) trading a star. Now, the flip side is they had league pass last June. And did watch what he did in the playoffs. You don't even need League Pass for that. They put those on TNT. Well, and and YouTube's got that that clip up all all the same. I get all that too. It's real tough because there's only two opinions that matter, and that's Sean Marks and Kevin Durant. And I don't know how they value not only Ben Simmons, but how Ben Simmons would look next to uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie oh. Irving, and Joe Harris. There's just, Ben's just the weirdest All Star level player. I've like there's it, more variation on his evaluation than any player of the caliber maybe ever it's a great point i could see kevin durant being like this guy is great he could play defense i can score like 46 a game now Kyrie, get a shot he's like you could score 38 a game and this guy will just play defense and we don't need to give him the ball or i could see kevin durant saying like this guy is scared of playing basketball. I don't want him. Yeah. Give me Tyrese Halliburton or something like that. I don't arguments. You can make both for sure. For sure. Um, but theoretically, if there was ever a team to say, all right, look, play defense, push the ball in transition, hide you an offense. It would be them, but also they would be the one team potentially acquiring Ben who would be like, yeah, but we need you to be ready to like win a championship now. Um, and I don't know if I trust you to do that. Both entirely fair. (laughs) Well, and that's the other part of it too. Like, it, it, the more I think about this, I Ben just wants out of Philly. Fine. The more I think about this, I think he wants to play for a bad team. Yeah, I mean, he certainly, certainly uh, could. I mean, they pretty much like that was in one of the ESPN reports um, that he wanted less expectations on him. Can you like, help. like this would never happen? Just because I feel like if they would make a trade now, it would be to a team that's really not in the playoffs. Can you imagine him playing like a playoff series for oh, yeah. another team this yeah. year? Yeah, 
there would be so many eyeballs on that. Like he thinks he's going to escape the Philadelphia media market and all of a sudden no one's going to pay attention to him. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I think look, maybe, maybe if you go to like Sacramento, but I think that would be his absolute worst nightmare. I mean, God, if he got traded to Sacramento right now, what, what are they? They're in the play in mix, right? Yeah. They're right around like nine, 10. So lucky for him, it would only be one game, but I mean, ugh. That's I think, like his worst nightmare. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I don't want to get into get into Ben it's himself. Such too a much. weird. It, it, it's uh, yeah. Yep. I think probably what's more interesting because I I still think pretty low chance that Ben is traded. Um, like maybe in the fifteen to twenty percent range, maybe even less than that. You could talk me down to ten. You know, I think whether or not Daryl does though, I think you said this on the last pod. It's not going to be because he feels an obligation to win this year. It's going to be whatever he thinks positions himself best for the next star that becomes available, uh, we can have that argument on what it is, but I think it's pretty clear right now that Daryl does truthfully believe that holding on to Ben gives him that best shot. So I make that the favorite of what's going to happen. Unless a star shakes free over the next nine days. I think that is the most likely scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I think what's interesting, like what's shame is with someone like Danny, uh, struggling the way he has, could you have used his non-guaranteed contract? to maybe have someone else dump a salary and you can get a, a pick back or something like that. Or even Seth. And I don't think they would trade Seth now. Cause I think Joel might like not appreciate that trade. Can you imagine if they, they ducked the tax? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause they paid it last year and like, who knows, you know, you want to reset the clock on the repeater tax. Well, and, and not to mention instead of paying what they, I think, I think their tax bill is like $10 million right now. If they duck, duck the tax, that's, They'll get ten billion dollars instead. Well, That's uh, not only that, but like you've got all the fine money from Ben coming in. Like Josh Harris could make out pretty well this year. Not that anybody listening to this podcast cares how Josh Harris does financially. I know, I know. this know. is this is a me and you thing right now. That's I mean that's like forty five million dollars maybe. Like yeah. that he'll just pocket. Oh my god. All right. Um, but like I thought, like I don't. Those by the way, I don't. I, I would be surprised if they did that because it's one thing to not trade for the Ben guy to actively tank your team. Like they, they need Seth and Danny to get as far as they can in yeah, the playoffs. They do. They do. Which um, by the way, which we both said like is not that far. But like I think you I, I am very much on the board. Like you owe it to MB to not actively sabotage him. I agree. I agree. Could you convince Joel that like, hey, an extra first round pick or two though could could really put us in a spot for that that stars trade. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, Maybe. I think Joel's built a little bit differently, but that would be a very tough ask for sure. For sure. But yeah, I don't, I, I, right now, and look, we're nine days, you know, before the deadline. I still think it's very unlikely that Ben is traded. Um, and without that, are there ways to really significantly upgrade the team? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I just come back to though, like, man, there, there better be something in the summer. There better be a, a star level player uh, available, and I, I I do fundamentally understand the idea of you could still get whatever trade you get here in the summer while also going for that star level player. I don't know. I, I guess my, my head is telling me that it's it's the right move or whatever. But like the the having this aspect, conversation for the next five months, yeah, yep. it, it just now that it is going to happen. Like it just sucks that they have to make this decision in this way. And it, it's funny, even though I feel like I am being uh, a little bit all over the place, a little bit uh, contradicting on some of my takes here. I mean, that's going to be the, 
the nicest thing that's going to happen to Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey is going to get, if he does not make a trade, he's and he doesn't care about this, he is going to get absolutely roasted. I don't know. I I, I can um, I can understand the rationale of, of waiting on this because again, I I just I come back to like, are they good enough to win a title with this team? No, they're not. They're no. not good enough uh, unless they they swing for a star level player. But I also understand the impatience. I also understand that it sucks that Joel was playing at this level. Um, you know, and I, I think it just comes back to what Darrow said on the radio. Like, this is a terrible situation. And uh, it's such a bad situation that I'm not making any sense right now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well you, you wrote about it this week, too. The the pros and cons of, of waiting for, for Harden in Brooklyn. Um, and, and I think you made a really good point. This is, like, where the colluders have to get involved here you need to know like because it's a big difference if james harden says hey like i don't want to play here anymore if he if he pulls a ben simmons i I don't want to play except not pulling a ben simmons because he actually only has one year left on his contract well even if a better player even if he pulls a james harden and says like here's two teams i'd like to go to that's different than him saying get me there yeah Uh, and so that's what the sixers would pretty much need because you know i think like we, we did, we say it last podcast. I don't know. There isn't a lot of cap space around the league for no. James Harden to flee to. There's like maybe three teams, and they're bad. Yeah, all of them. No, the the uh, if 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 James Harden goes to Sean Marks and he's like, "Look, trade me to Philly, or I'm going to San Antonio." Like Sean Marks might just call that bluff. I might call that bluff. Yeah. Uh, especially like less, you know, smaller deal, non bird deal. Also, like in that case, Sean Marks like. Spurs guy, he could call Pop up and say, uh, yeah. "Hey, uh, what, what are you guys doing? Would, would, would you actually sign him to this? Because just be honest with me, yes or no." No, and it, when, it's not. And a... when Pop probably says no on that, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not the strongest position they've ever been. And <laughs> no, you're right. Like the difference between get me away from Brooklyn and here's a list of three teams I'd go to, and Philly's on it. Um, it's very different from a leverage perspective than get me to Joel Embiid in Philly. Well, that the the latter one, it almost doesn't matter what you do at the trade deadline because yeah. you just have to give Brooklyn something, um, and they will take something rather than nothing. But if it's the former, you have to have the best offer of those three teams. And look, the Sixers might still be able to do that because a lot of contending teams don't tend to have a lot to trade. But it's a lot more like what Daryl does at the deadline now becomes a lot more relevant. It is true. I mean, if he says that he wants to come here, and they know that, which I mean, by the way. In a in a history of shit shows with this organization, this will be a, a different type of shit show. This won't be an internal one. Um, that'll be a league like Brooklyn will absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, that'll be an absolute mess with with all of the noise that has been out there. Uh, Michael Rubin is going to be like a, a prominent figure yeah, yeah, in in yeah. NBA reporting. It's going to be an absolute mess if that does happen. <laughs> but but okay, if they uh, colluded well enough to know that James Harden wants to come to uh to Philadelphia. You're right. Like I, I almost think you, you make the trade right now and you get the best team possible because does Brooklyn want something or do they want nothing? Uh yeah. So Yeah. But I mean look the NBA is so soft on tampering that like what what did uh what did Chicago lose over the summer? It was like a second round pick? Second round pick, yeah. Uh, look I'll I'll trade a second round pick for James Harden. Like if you're going to have a toothless colluding rule or tampering rule, like whatever, but you're right. Like the noise around it will be incredible. 
it's it's already the noise around it is strong. And it's like there's never not actually been any proof. Like first of all, a transaction hasn't been made, and there's been no proof that anything to steal a Brian Colangelo term untoward has happened. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be much worse in the summer. And I guess this is some of my frustration with the entire situation here. And this is the the difficult part about what. Uh, Maury is doing because uh, while, while I agree, you know, hold out for a star, all those things, all we've been hearing since the summer is what, well, hey, a star will become available. We, we know that's going to happen. Uh, a star has not become available yet. So I don't know. Like, yeah, may, maybe it'll happen in the summer, but I don't know. Like, do you do you see the guy on the horizon? Do you see? No. And I think that's why, why there's been so much talk about Harden is because he's the first one really since Dame that there's been actual like reporting suggesting that he could be considering it. Yeah. Um, you know, Brown, there was just, wow, the Celtics are kind of a shit show here for the last couple of weeks. Like maybe they could change it up, but there's nothing actually solid there. No. Um, same thing with Bradley Beal. Like, gosh, they really should probably trade him. They're going nowhere. And also, by the way, he probably shouldn't want to be there, but neither side has really blinked in that regard either. I, I'm down on Bradley Beal, man. I, yeah. I don't, I don't even know if I would trade. I mean, look, I, I, I might look elsewhere. I, I think I almost would rather have a, you know, a couple of of lower end guys, you know, lower end starters. His like, next contract is scary for sure, for sure. Like, give me Halliburton and if it was just Halliburton and Barnes, give, give me them over, over Beal. In my opinion, that's my hot take of the day. Yeah, look, I think he was always a little bit overrated, um, just because his defense was bad, his playmaking was bad, um, but he was such a good individual scorer. But now all of a sudden, he's shooting like. 30% from three and his scoring's down and all the other deficiencies are still there. And look, he's not old. He's only like 28, but that next contract is, and I, I think he would play well off of Embiid, but is Maxi yeah, and Beal a championship caliber defensive backcourt? Well, concerned. And, and Beal would be an upgrade, but that's the other, to, to tie these things together too, Maxi playing so well has made a lot of these pretty good guards less enticing yeah and look has bradley beal had times where he's better than pretty good yeah of course oh oh yeah and honestly like i i would imagine he'll probably get back to better than pretty good yeah at some point but i just wonder how often he's gonna do it you know yeah uh it's been, yeah. A, it's been a weird year for him it's been a weird year after that that strong start that they had there in in pretty much disaster territory uh, and you could see anything happen with that. Team. His teams are always disasters too. And I, you know, I think a lot of that is the organization, but at some point, can you have a normal team in Washington? I mean, the, the Sixers don't have a normal team, but at least they win games. That is one though. Like where like, yeah, I think, I think Washington struggles over the years are at times pretty directly related to his deficiencies. Um, but also like Joel Embiid as a way of covering a lot of that up. Um, I, I, don't know. I don't know. We're all fawning over Tyrese Halliburton. Who's, losing a game every night sometimes yeah, by yeah. 53 points yep. so you yep, know yep, 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 yep. all right uh any other sort of stray thoughts here before we close this one up no no i think uh i, I just think like maxi is uh, like the two storylines this year is mb playing great and I, I guess we never mentioned it i assume everybody understood that like mb was taking the night off last night for for rest which was the the right move it's probably overdue Yep, took, first time took in 21 games. Yep, That's a lot of games. That's the second most of his career. Uh, but that's the two stories for this year. And yeah, I think it's, 
you know, in this lost crazy year, you still have Embiid ascending to maybe even a higher level from yep. last season, at least for the last month he has. We'll yep. see if he can keep it up. Uh, but you also have Maxi turning into something that is that is real and spectacular. So yeah. that's uh, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. No, those those two storylines of two players redefining who they are, uh, redefining their upside. And then you've got that other guy. Those are the three storylines. That's what I mean. We have two very feel-good stories. And I think for the next week, we and literally the entire media are going to bitch about the Sixers and say how terrible this is and how horrible it is. And I'm sorry. It's true. Rich, you texted me about doing a podcast. I ignored it. Didn't get back to you. Didn't return your calls, but you found a way to get on this podcast anyway. So I thank you for that effort. Thank you for jumping on and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.